This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My special guest with me here today has been a brand junkie since 1998. I love that word, brand junkie, by the way. Uh, Having created brand strategies and creative campaigns for more than 300 brands around the globe, he's worked with big brands such as Everbank, Delcy Luggage, Red Hot and Blue, Denny's, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and Carfax, just to name a few. He has built four successful advertising strategic branding agencies and his fourth one now known as WM Harper, which is an integrated full-service creative agency infusing companies with the ability to realize their full potential through a creative problem-solving and team unification process. Please welcome Bill Harper. Bill, thank you so much for being with me here today, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Absolutely. So, you know, me and you have been working in the same uh, office building for probably over a year now. And I would, I would, and this is crazy. Before I reached out to you on LinkedIn, uh, I, I didn't know you were in the same office as me. I think you remember that, right? We, we saw each other in, in near one of the, uh, the meeting rooms. We did, like, we did right after we moved in. Yeah, I know. That was great. Um, but you know, what really caught my attention, Bill is, you know, just, you know, first of all, thanks again for being on the show. And, and, uh, and what caught my attention was on LinkedIn. I saw your branding experience and your profile image on, on LinkedIn was all great. And I love it because LinkedIn's so powerful in the business community. And I don't think people really leverage it effectively. And the way you did it was really, really good. And just reading your, your profile content and it was very well worded and very intelligent. Um, but what caught my attention was your actual uh, profile. I think it's the top profile banner. And you guys look like actors, you and your management team. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that photo. So what was the the what was your thought behind that before you took it? You know, we've become such a visual uh, community, right? I mean, everything is about visual. And we were sort of playing with this idea that um, we wanted to do something that was kind of dramatic and different, not just the typical agency pictures where, you know, hey, I'm creative, so I'm standing with a pencil or you know, I'm a, I'm a musician in my other life. And so I'm standing with my guitar or whatever. And so uh, a friend of ours kind of challenged us one day and said, you know, your team looks like they could be a, you know, like a USA show. And we just sort of laughed about that. And we said, all right, why don't we, why don't we shoot something that way? Like, it would just be fun to sort of promote it as sort of the modern madmen. Uh, you know, of Raleigh. And that was kind of how we approached it. Yeah. And so we, we just sort of had fun with this idea. And so on set, one of my art directors at the time was a photographer in his second life. And, you know, we got to talking about it and he came out and sort of worked with us to get everybody's wardrobe just the way he wanted it and was working with us on a couple different lighting sequences that he liked and styles. And we, you know, it just became a fun thing. And so the next thing, you know, we all look like we're, you know, the next, uh, the next TBS show or something. I don't know. It just cracked us up. So we really liked it. And surprisingly, when we put it up, we got a lot of really positive feedback from it. So we just sort of ran with it. And, uh, and it's, it's gotten us a lot of conversation, which we enjoy. That's great. And I, and I noticed that same image is even on your website. And I love your website, by the way. I don't know if you guys just redesigned that or not, but it's very sleek and clean. And I love it. So you, it's great. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but I love how you kept your 
your profile, you as kind of the one, of, I would say the you know top brand ambassador for your company, um, the face of the company with the website. And that's great as well, because it seems like, and me being a branding person myself, and I mean, you talked about this a little bit over coffee, but it consistency is so important about branding. I'm sure you can agree with that, right? Absolutely. Yep. So Bill, just kind of kick things off. Uh, you know, I read, I did a lot of research and I, I read that you absolutely love creating unique brand strategies and messages and campaigns for, you know, small to large enterprise level companies. So how did you really get into that area of marketing and specifically branding? Uh, how did that kind of come about? You know, that's an interesting question. I kind of fell in love with it accidentally. So um, when I was going into college, I had a bunch of disparate things that I was super interested in. And I actually went to school for mechanical engineering. I was interested in designing cars. That was what really had my attention. I thought the work Pinafarina had done was super interesting. And I just thought designing sheet metal would be like the most fun thing ever. Mm -hmm. And it kind of brought together a bunch of different things that I had. So I had a, a math background that was pretty heavy and I had an art background that was pretty heavy and I had a theater and a writing thing that was going on. And so I had a bunch of these disparate things that I really, really enjoyed. And I thought at the time that uh, engineering was what I really wanted to do. And when I got in and realized just, um, uh, for me, it was limiting because it was so linear in the way that they were thinking about problems. And what I really kind of came to find was that I was seeking something that would allow me to pull together a need for developing business and a need for trying to problem solve on a creative front and a need for presentation and need to kind of weave all those things together. And for a little bit, I wasn't quite sure how to get to that. And I literally was on campus one day. I had transitioned out of the engineering school into the business school and was um, in the middle of sort of moving towards a business degree. And I walked through a building on campus that I had never been on and it was a visual communications class and they were making presentations that day for one of their design projects. And it was riveting. Like I couldn't stop watching. And so I sat in the hallway for three hours watching this class go down where all these people trying to explain in front of a panel why they had made the decisions that they had made, how they thought that it was going to influence the business, what things they thought it would open in terms of potential new revenue streams and so forth and so on. And I got to be honest, I was hooked. So, you know, I kind of walked away from that and went and learned everything that I could about uh, what it meant to be in advertising and how that worked. Um, and I had sort of been around that a little bit. My father was a disc jockey his entire career and shared office space with uh, uh, Gray in Chicago. And so uh, he had friends that were in the industry. And as I began to get interested in it, some of the people that dad knew were kind enough to sit down with me and sort of tell me what the reality of advertising was. And it just kind of got into me. And the next thing I know, I was I was madly in love with it. Now, in the beginning, I didn't really understand the brand side of it that way. And I don't think a lot of us that are coming out of uh, school do in the in the front half. You know, we're worried about our craft, right? So I was an art director, and I was worried about whether or not the designs I was doing were interesting or or forward thinking enough or what have you. But then, after a while, as you begin to see the layering of how this really is about the development of business. This whole new world opens up, and then as that continues to mature, I think you find this really, really rich um, challenge 
in bringing together how does communication work internally and externally together? What happens if you go and you put a brand strategy in place that doesn't actually match against the company's idea of what it stands for? And so this, this whole thing just becomes this infinitely deep puzzle that is tremendously rewarding to work on. And I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, it's just been a phenomenal experience. Yeah. And in your experience with branding, do you feel that branding is a lot more about the front end? So the front end as in like design, or do you think there's a lot of back end pieces that go into it? Because for me, I mean, I pretty much, when I did my master's, uh, I did my master's in business communications marketing. It was really a lot of it was branding classes and, and creative strategy. And and, um, and the thing is, is uh, people, when they think of branding, they just think of corporate identity, like logo design and things. But but I, I kind of want you to talk about that to, to the audience a bit is there's a lot of moving parts in branding. It's not just design, right? Oh, no, I don't think I think design is is just the tip of the iceberg. At the end of the day, I, I actually think branding is the complete opposite. The way that I look at branding now and the way that we're sort of wielding that set of tools, if you want to say it that way, is is almost all strategic. So the conversations that we're having are with the C-suite of companies where we're sitting down and trying to help them get at, a, at, at building a single purpose statement, something that's very simple and very clear, that acts almost more like a movement than it does a direction for external marketing. And so this thing that has to be true to who they are and relevant to the audience that's outside and somehow uniquely different than what the competitive set is offering becomes the touchstone for everything that they do. And that's really where the depth and the richness out of these kinds of things come. So we're talking about helping them to develop something at the DNA level of the company and then bringing that up through internal communications because a brand is every single contact point that happens. So it's not just how you market out to a group of potential or existing consumers. It's about how you reach out to people who you want to potentially be a part of the team as employees, or if you are looking for channel partners, or if you're looking to engage with third party in somehow. The fact that the brand has a torch that is sort of the guiding light for it when it is in place properly, those brands bring people to them. They're not marketing at them. They're, they're bringing them around a single idea. And the people who come to that idea are sharing that journey themselves. So it's no longer paying for people to come and be a part of it. Those people are taking that brand messaging and that brand strategy, and they're turning it into something that they... Um, live in their own lives as well. And that's, that's really where it gets exciting. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and for me, I noticed with uh, building my company and we had to do, I mean, we had so many branding meetings and just uh, trying to understand our messaging and, and it's very, and I noticed it and I'm going to get to this question in a second, but I noticed that in your, in doing research for, with your company on your company, you talk a lot about, about clarity and a lot of companies lack in that clarity. And even when we started, I'm telling you, man, it was so hard to identify, especially as a startup years ago, it was so hard to know truly who we, who we are, who we were. You know what I mean? It's like- It's a difficult process. It is. It's a really difficult process. 
Um, in fact, uh, you know, we soundboard out when when we've done this, and I, I think you mentioned at the beginning that we've had some agency experience in the past. So we've owned a couple of different companies and built them. And regardless of whether it was independently or with partners, each time we've we've at some point had to reach out and sort of soundboard it against some other people because you're so close to it and and there's so much about what you want it to mean and how you're trying to have it be an honest representation of the things that you value and that you put faith in and how you want to conduct business on a day-to-day basis. Um, It's incredibly hard not to get kind of, you know, as we sort of say internally caught up in the, in your underwear, right. About trying to say something that is meaningful to everybody without being self-serving. Because really, and you know, we talk a lot about this with our clients, the four most important words in any brand's development is it's not about you, right? Like nobody cares why I'm passionate about branding. The, you know, they are interested mm-hmm. in, is there a nugget in what he's saying that's helpful? Or is there something about what's going on with this brand or that brand or this company or that company that somehow helps me further my journey? And for the brands that realize that their real value is in being a catalyst for other people to achieve what they want to achieve, as opposed to trying to push an agenda on them, they are the ones that become these massive brands that we all kind of come to revere. And so I think it's really important that we as business owners sit down and go through that same thing. And to be honest, that's a lot of what we do on the front end of our client relationships is making sure that for those companies that either didn't have a chance to do that on the front end or have sort of lost touch with it, that we reconnect them or define or redefine what that brand messaging is so that they can they can begin to grow properly against that that value set. So what did it really take, Bill, for, to reach that level of clarity that so a company comes to you there, they have some they have obviously some messaging problems and, and even I mean, getting down to the point of of. Uh, not fully understanding their purpose. I mean, even we've, ex- I- I've talked to so many different, not even just startups, but uh, uh, companies that have been around for over 20 years and they they still don't understand their, their, their true purpose. They understand why they're, you know, they're, they're there to make money and they love what they do and this and that, but they don't understand the true purpose behind why, why this company is, is still going and thriving and, and so on and so forth. So how did you really, how do you reach that level of clarity to differentiate their brand from, competition and finding their purpose. I think you've got to look at companies and the people they serve independently. So a lot of a lot of businesses rely on what they know. And I'm sure you've had clients that you've walked in and said, oh, "Hey, yeah. listen, I'd, I'd like to find out a little bit more about your customer." They're like, no, 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 no. I know my customer. I know everything. I know everything. I know everything. I can't tell you how many times we've sat in the back of a focus group room with a client and watched their mouth hit the floor. And they're looking at the same thing that they've always looked at, but for some reason, they miss the most obvious things. And again, I think that goes back to the same thing you were talking about a moment ago about how we all get so close to our own brand. We kind of have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees, right? So um, I think the first thing that we do is we, we silo independently and we say, number one, let's talk to the brand as the brand. And even more than that, let's talk to the individual leadership um, components that are responsible for delivering the brand consistently through the company. So a lot of times, and this is like just an easy way to kind of think about this, but I'll walk into a company and I'll say, what do you do? And they'll say, oh, well, we make 
the world's best one-bedroom house, right? But as you start talking to them, one person thinks it's a, it's a log cabin, and one person thinks it's a bungalow, and another thinks it's a one-bedroom condo, <laughs> and another person... Now, if you ask them around the room, right, they all, they're all saying the same thing. They all sound like they're in harmony. But what you come to find out is that they're actually not, and that they have somewhere along the path lost that connectivity between each other. And typically, that's a result of two things. Number one, most people don't think to talk about it that way. And number two, as growth occurs, it has a tendency to come in starts and stops. And when you know you hire five or 10 or 50 new people in a year because you suddenly grew, typically that's because you have a real need to manage the business. And the first priority is getting those people to be functional. And the first priority behind that is making sure that they understand their role. And that has nothing to do with brand. That has to do with what they do in order to continue to service the growth needs of the company. And so it's not hard to see how people either never were in touch with it in the first place or simply haven't had a chance to get back in touch with it as they've come along the path. Mm-hmm. And Bill, since you've been working with so many large global global brands over the years, what is was there certain i mean what, what did you really notice companies are missing or doing wrong in their brand strategies or or do you even feel that some don't have any brand strategies at all i think you touched on it a little bit but i want to know kind of what you noticed that were the biggest faults that's an interesting question i think um as we approach businesses i think and you know simon sinek or sinek yeah. I'm never quite sure how he pronounces his last name. I've heard it mispronounced about 15 different ways. But he really, you know, the insight he had and the way that he codified the start with why concept was a really great way to explain what most of these companies are missing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the majority of the reason that companies are started are someone who firmly believes that they can do something better. So at the, at the end of the day, each company begins with a, a person or a small group of people that kind of, you know, shakes hands together and says, all right, that's it. We're going to go do X. And the very next thing that they tend to think of is if this is what we're going to do, then the very next thing we got to figure out is how we're going to do it. And then after that, it's going to be, well, who do we need to hire in order to do it? And then somewhere in the distant future, way down the path is who we're doing it for. And it's not a it's not a malevolent thing. It's not like they're starting and saying, well, I'm I'm purposely not taking the consumer or the end user or however you want to define the customer into into account. It's that the needs of the business that press on the front end say, in order for this thing to pay for my mortgage and the food I need and my family and whatever else that happens to be in the reality of the person starting the company, I better get myself in motion quick. And then as the company spools up, hey, guess what? I really didn't have time to that. I was going to get back to that later, or I kind of half did it along the path and whatever. Now, the thing that's so funny is the companies succeed despite this, right? So there's a need out there, and that need promotes through business growth. What I think companies fail to realize is how much easier for them it is and how much more efficient it is and how much money they're leaving on the table ultimately when they don't take these things into account. And I see this from uh, you know, entrepreneurial businesses that are their first one or two people and or just looking for seed money or doing you know, whatever they're doing to try to get their 
company off the ground. And mm-hmm. I see it in mid-level companies and I see it in, in very large companies that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to share who they were, but to say that they exist. But the bottom line is, is that this is a shared issue for companies across the board. And I think it's really the job and the responsibility of branding agencies to come in and make sure that this fundamental piece is in place. I'm sure you have worked with a company that has worked with an agency that worked in a silo and didn't get that kind of information that comes up with a great campaign. And the campaign lasts three or four months because nobody internally believes in it or is willing to support it or it's not real. Maybe they were able to carry it off for a couple of of months as a business model, but then they realize that you know, hey, this really isn't who we are, and they revert back to what they had been in the past, or they change tack and they they come to something else. All that time, all that effort, and all that money was wasted simply because they didn't go back to the beginning and say, "Hey, define the you know the shoes you're standing in. Let's make sure that we understand what it is that you intend to be and why you care about it." So we're aligning you around some people that also care about the same thing. So you think understanding your why is a really a big part of it. Like you were talking with Simon Sinek, because I, I think I saw some of those videos uh, as well. And it, it was really, really interesting just finding the sole purpose. I and mean, what, what, what's the reason, the motive? I was talking about motives in a lot of my um, podcasts and content and, and, um, and videos, you know, understanding your motives and intent behind doing something. If it's not strong enough, then you might want to look somewhere else. And I think even Simon talks about that is really understanding your motives. What's the real reason behind it? Well, and if you think about it, it's really interesting. So there was a time when people were more or less company men and women, right? So you would get a job. When I worked at DMB&B at the very, very beginning of my career, there was a guy who had been there for 40 years. And you know, he was in a corner office and he'd been there forever. And there was a picture up on the wall with him wearing, you know, Buddy Holly glasses and what, whatever. And I mean, like that was his company. He had been there his entire career. But now things have changed and the needs of the, you know, millennial generation that are coming up and the way that they're looking at what they want to get from the time that they're spending at work is different. And their demands on how they will work and what they want from that company and how willing they are to be dedicated to them and how dedicated they require those companies to be back. It's, it's not about a paycheck. It's not about a title. It's about saying, Hey, I want to do something valuable with my time. I want to be recognized as having been a part of something that I actually cared about. It's not enough for me to just go get a check and study after study is showing that these, you know, this group is leaving jobs for jobs of greater meaning. And so there has never been a time. I, I, I don't, I, let me, let me, I, I don't like saying things that way because they sound very, um, they sound very ridiculous <laughs> in my opinion. There, there has, it has always been so that people want to have value in how they spend their time. Perhaps this is one of those times in history where people are recognizing and, and either willing to honor it or being forced to honor it more than they have in the past. Why don't we say it that way? But at right. the end of the day, the demand of the employee is such that, hey, I don't just want to come in and sit and you know, shine a, butt, you know, a seat with my butt. What I really want to do is I want to come in and know that I'm contributing to something. And in order for that to be the case, it can't be, hey, we want to grow by 15% this year because we grew by 12% last year. It's got to be that there's something behind it. And I've found that once you release that thing into the company, 
a lot of pretty amazing things happen that they didn't anticipate were going to happen and that aren't typically associated with brand development or advertising or strategy. All of a sudden, people who don't align with it within management suddenly become very apparent. People who don't align with it in terms of business development or initiatives that they thought they were working on suddenly don't seem quite right. And the shiny object syndrome that really disrupts the efficiency and effectiveness of companies on such a profound level is really kind of put back in its box. And that's a massive, massive advantage to these businesses. And so, um, you know, I just can't get behind anything as much as I do this. I, I have seen it be a profound influencer and benefiter to companies as they have gone through the process. Yeah, that's some great, that's some great insight. And, and when you work with different companies, Bill, are you, I, I know marketing has a lot of different elements and moving parts. There's, you know, there's traditional based marketing and there's, there's digital marketing, which you know is uh, hugely in trend is, is booming um, just because everyone's online. But when you are strategizing for a customer, do you feel traditional based advertising is still very effective in creating a, like a strong brand? Or do you feel digital is essentially completely, completely taking over or maybe a combination of both? Is that what you guys kind of incorporate or how, how, how does that how do you incorporate that? We're really media agnostic as we look at it. I think it's really important that we not get caught up in the sway of what's trending at the moment. And so, you know, digital is a channel. Digital is a channel like outdoor is a channel, like everything else is a channel. And there's an appropriate use for every channel. Uh, you know, there was a time when direct mail was king, right? And everybody used it. And because everybody used it, its efficiency dropped off. Now everybody's using digital. And when we do a tailored direct mail piece, and I'm not just talking about a postcard. I mean, I'm talking about something that has a greater engagement ratio with it, but something that is a mailer device, our return numbers are through the roof. I mean, much, much higher than any kind of traditional number that you would have gotten back well into the teens and often in the twenties in terms of return for traffic back to, in many cases, a digital environment where it can be tracked, such as a website or landing page or such and such. But regardless, the point is the focus needs to be on the idea always. And I think that's something that's really gotten lost in this era of digital plus specialist plus, um, you know, most efficient by hiring the people that do it best. What's been happening, and it's really interesting, is the average number of agencies a business has has exponentially grown due to this ideology that everybody needs to have the specialist within this discipline. The brand is what suffers. So a, a CMO that now has to keep control of seven or eight different specialist agencies, all of whom are vying for their time, all of whom are vying to show their value, all of whom are vying for what piece of the pie they can sort of justify taking from the rest of those groups, they're not working in concert. And so what happens is that the brand becomes diluted. And at the end of the day, the, the company begins acting more and more like a commodity. And we have watched this happen over and over and over again. And it leads to detrimental impacts financially on the growth potential of those companies. So I don't, think, I don't think that the world has changed to a digital world in the sense that 
um, you know, digital is king now and, and you might as well just pull out a radio or outdoor or direct or anything else because of it. I think that people who are saying that are a lot like the people when television came out that said that radio was dead and would never be there again and so forth and so on. I mean, this, this cycle has shown to repeat itself throughout history over and over again and equilibrium is always established. So it is true that this is a phenomenally effective one-to-one mechanism and group um, interest generating mechanism. I think that uh, few people have figured out how to use it effectively, appropriately for a length of time that actually show long-term return on investment. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it is about understanding your target audience. Uh, I, I've noticed I've noticed many companies still don't understand their audience. I mean, it took us a while to really understand our audience and who we're trying to target. And I think you learn that as you grow a company and you build a business because you're not going to fully understand your audience without data. And I know data is kind of no whole another topic, but data is so important now. You need And, and you kind of mentioned that, that you, you did this targeted uh, direct mail campaign and you got you saw the numbers, right? And you, you were getting this data and metrics back. And then you, I'm assuming you probably uh, adapted those campaigns accordingly to, to that target audience and who it was working for, right? Of course. Yeah. Anywhere that you can get feedback data is of course useful. I think the difference is it doesn't necessarily have to be all digital all the time, simply because it's digital. I'm not against digital. I just don't think that it is the only answer just because it's hot. And in fact, I think that groups that remember their uh, fundamental truths about brand and idea and development of a, uh, a larger cause and a long-term strategy um, are the ones that, that really benefit. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about you know, the long game, the long game. And yeah. I, I think it's interesting that that gains so much traction with the younger generations that are watching him because it seems novel. But to folks that have been around where digital wasn't always the case and you couldn't get an answer in you know two and a half seconds from somebody simply because somebody had a mobile phone that dinged when you sent it out, it doesn't mean that everything has to be viewed in the eyes of you know 15 minutes as an eternity. I think the long game is just as important now as it ever was. And especially in light of all of the frantic, frenetic energy that's kind of running around the social space, businesses have gotten away from that. And the ones that are returning to it are the ones that are going to succeed moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like... Th- what do you feel is the most important step, Bill, for companies? Because I, I know you work with, like I said before, uh, small companies to large companies. But what do you think is really the most ins- important step in the process for companies to take when building a brand for a startup compared to a large, you know, a mid-market company or an enterprise-level company? Is there are the steps the same in in brand building, or is it are they all very different? No, no. Actually, they're very similar. I think, I think in some ways it's almost harder for a brand that's right off the bat to be able to do it because there's so much blank canvas. And I think it's really, it's really important for those people to have uh, sort of a guide in that process. It's, it's, why don't I say it this way? It's a different kind of an animal to, to shepherd, right? So on the one hand, you've got probably one or two people that are making all of the decisions. There's no history in the company. It's a big blank slate. And so they're trying to figure out, well, what would I want it to be if it could be anything versus a company that has a lot of established time behind it is maybe 40 or 50 years old and has a key management team that's sitting in the room of, you know, seven to 12 people. 
and is trying to say, who were we again? So, you know, that company has to figure out what it's all about in terms of its legacy and its history. And the, the young company has to figure out what it ultimately wants that legacy and history to be. And so they're coming at it from different points, but they're, they're trying to arrive at the same point on the hill. So I think the process is not really radically different. It's more where you place the focus while you're going through those exercises to help them see what they need to see in order to gain the right perspective to define themselves properly. And, I, and I'm assuming that that's this is how you kind of came up with this. Uh, I, I call this a buzzword. I noticed it on your profile and on your uh, on your website is domina. Dominate, dominatitude. Yeah. Dominated, that's how you say it. I was dominatitude. I'm like dominant attitude. Hold on. Dominatitude, which I, I like it, but I'm like, I don't want to say it on the podcast. I'm not, <laughs> but, um, dom, dominatitude. Okay. So, it, it, and I know, is that part of like, for example, these, these buzzwords and these, these, um, you know, little keywords integrated in, in your website and, and overall branding, that's something I noticed that makes you guys different. And I'm like, man, you know, a lot of companies need to do that. There's, there's so much, there's such a lack of, and I, this is my opinion. This is not for everybody, but I, I noticed a lot of companies are, are not being as creative. They're just so to the book. You know what I mean? They don't want to be, um, they don't want to be different. Like having like a buzzword, like dominatitude which I think is great. So what's the, the background behind that keyword and how, how did that kind of start? So Dominatitude was, uh, we were searching for a way to give clients a name for a mindset that we were trying to, to instill in them. And I think, you know, uh, it, for, for Matrix fans out there who, who will enjoy this quote, we tell them often, you know, there is no spoon. Stop focusing on the competition. There is no competition. The the ones who are leading, and you know, if you want to read Blue Water Strategies, there's a book that tries to talk about it, and you know, and there's probably a dozen books I could rattle off that sort of speak to this notion of find your own space. But I think the big thing that's been the downfall of digital is that there's so much information, and looking at your uh, competitive set is so easy to do that they compare themselves all the time. And that's a massive detriment to the brand because what winds up happening is, is they homogenize, right? The more they look at the other brand, the more they start comparing themselves to them, the more they start following them, the more they start duplicating them. And what winds up happening is they look the same, they sound the same, they project the same, and they start fighting on these little teeny incremental differences of a feature or benefit that right. ultimately can't be sustainable. And so we spend a lot of time in this notion of dominatitude and saying, listen, stop thinking about that. That's not, that, that is such a detraction. Every minute you spend wasting paying attention to the rest of, of the, you know, the competitive set, the category in that way. Now, of course, you have to be aware of what they're doing, but there's a huge distance between being aware of what they're doing and making sure that you're mindful of it and actually leveling or measuring yourself against them. And most companies have forgotten that. And that's the way that leadership happens. Leadership doesn't come from me tooing. Leadership comes from standing apart. And in order to do that, you have to be quiet in your environment long enough to think this is where I want to go, rather than trying to fight off the constant noise of this is where we are. And I think, you know, that's what that term was about. And it's a big part of what we talk with our clients about. You know, this is a, 
This is sort of our, our key point of difference given a name. And so we, we, you know, we're currently working on a book to bring that same concept out because I think it's so forgotten and it's such a critical point of business. I mean, those leaders of tomorrow are the ones that are going to have to learn how to stand apart and stand alone for what they believe in and bring people together around that belief. And there's not a lot of companies right now that are willing to stand out and do that and have their own voice. Um, and so Dominatitude is about helping them kind of get quiet inside. And it's almost like a martial art. It's a discipline, right? It's a, it's a, uh, a methodology to help them structure how to do that effectively. And I think, I love what you said, because I think a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, not just entrepreneurs, not just startups, but I think a lot of companies in general, what happens is they tend to compare themselves to others, especially with new strategies and new approaches and, and even coming down to branding. They're like, oh, but my competitor's doing it like this way. And I know this from experience because you know, my company, Imagine Ovation, has been dealing with, with all sorts of companies and we hear it from a lot of them. And we're like, but what, you, you, don't, you guys don't want to copy the, this, this company. You don't want to copy – I mean you can look at them as a, as a reference to see maybe what they're doing and how we can do it better. But you don't want to be next to them just – like for example, read, uh, doing an app or a website or something. You don't want to look at them and say, oh, but they did it this way. It's like, listen, you know, we want to come up with – we want to get our own element here and, and strategize and, and, and try to listen and, and feel like what, what – do you actually feel you want to portray on your website? What makes you, you guys, who you are? And for me, when I'm in my own element and I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm just listening kind of just to the world and I'm listening to what I need to do. And, and because there's a lot of clutter out there, Bill, you know, that there's a lot of noise out there. It sure is. And, and, and you know, this with just being on social media, sometimes it's a headache, man. It's because I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of marketing for the company and I'm just like, man, there's so much clutter out there and just so much content that's not good. <laughs> and you're like, man, like how, how do I become better? And when I get into my own element, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I believe in what I'm going to, I believe in my message and believe in what I'm saying. And if, if I can touch somebody's life and help somebody through, even if I just get 20 or 30 likes in a post or, or whatever, maybe I helped one or two or three people. I, I, I that's more important to me. And then I'm going to get a lot more engagement if I keep doing that throughout the years. And that's helped our company. So can you talk a little bit about that? Is that kind of behind that dominatitude is, is just getting in your own element and, and trying to be different yourself, not just trying to compare it to, to others. It is. I think that that's where, I, you know, that's, this is a philosophical discussion, but it's when you think about a team and an effective one, and you've seen teams that are like this, you know, people who are like, hey, I was number four at that company. And, you know, uh, you know Geek Squad comes to mind. That's a phenomenal brand. What a tremendous brand. What a group of people that like truly get the mystique of what they've created, you know, and the founder tells this wonderful story about how he looked out on the office one day and there was a new person on the team and the rest of the team was hazing him basically um, for, you know, telling him he had to go and get his driver's license done in the, in the geek glasses and uh, you know, in string tie. Right. And so at that point he realized that it had become its own culture. Like now he had started something that had taken on a life of its own and it had its own pulse and it had its own, its own, uh, you know, life really. And I think that's what 
people are kind of looking for. You know, they're looking for these these people who are willing to stand out and stand up. And those people, because they can't help it, typically wind up becoming leaders of companies and groups. And for the ones that are willing to sort of share that difference and being unique with other people, people get excited about that and they want to rally behind it and they want to join it. And it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to witness. And it's a, it's an even more amazing and kind of humbling thing to be a part of helping to create on a company's behalf. Yeah. And Bill, you know, with, with you building four, you said four, four different companies in, in your, in all just all your experience, what were some of the biggest struggles you yourself experienced um, or your clients when trying to strategically build a brand? And, and how did you really overcome them? What were some of the biggest uh, levels of adversity or what have you? I think the biggest thing is that the first three years suck, no matter what. I, don't, I mean, I suppose you, know, you probably get a, an email and it was like, hey, you know what? Um, I was super well known and I jumped and made my own thing. And, you know, Porsche showed up with a $50 million check on Tuesday. But for the majority of us, that's not the case. For the majority of us, it doesn't matter what you were doing yesterday. You could have been senior VP, owner of a company, president, whatever. If you sell that company or you leave that job and you go hang your own shingle, you know, it, you might have been senior VP on Monday, but come Tuesday, 8 a.m., guess what? You're, you're Bob, right? So you've got to start all over again. And the first couple of years, getting people to believe in you is what it takes. And you and I have talked about this before. Of, you know, yeah. There's kind of a sickness right, that, that entrepreneurs have and a willingness to stand in the, in the you know, river of negativity that comes your way. And you kind of you do. You kind of get off on it. You're like, hey, you know what? I can rise above this current that's pushing against me, telling me that it, it can't happen. And I can push something into existence that didn't exist before I decided to do it. And I think that's really the big challenge, right, is the fact that while you want to be strong to what you believe and you want to be um, dedicated to the things that you want to share in creating a culture and the rest, I think a lot of us get, get sidetracked by how am I going to make the car payment? How am I going to, you know, how am I going to make rent this month or this year? Or how am I going to hire that first employee or whatever? And really... There is, there is such a mentor network available to people now. The internet, and this is one of the great things about the internet, you can reach out and find somebody who knows more than you do about anything, any time of day or night. And that's really one of the beautiful things about it. And I have found that not only experience shortcuts that a little bit, but being able to reach out and find a mentor and somebody who can give you some input or you know, even, even just be a, an ear on the days where that part of the journey is so rough is a real help. Uh, but I think, you know, people who have the fortitude to stand in that and are willing to see that long game aspect of the business and are willing to say, you know what, overnight success takes 10 years, no matter what. And I'm going to put my head down and commit to doing this thing because I know the payoff is going to be amazing. And the journey is going to be something that will, will have made my lifetime, uh, you know, incredible is is what it's all about and uh, it's the first couple of years just they're <laughs> they're just rotten they always it's are they're just rotten. And, but, and, and you talked about this before and and even joe you you know joe rogan i'm sure you know joe rogan right uh, yeah, yeah. yeah 
commentator on, on UFC, and he has a really successful podcast, interviews uh, just leaders around the world. And he interviewed this guy. I forgot his name, but he, he said – yes, he asked a very similar question to what I asked you. And he said, man, I'm going to tell you. I'm gonna be, he's like, I'm going to be upfront with you. He's like, the first five years was freaking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Like it it's just all rejection up and down every day. You get you get a client, they fire you the next day. They have they get their their they just have this buyer's remorse type thing. He's like, it's just insane. It's just hell. Well, it, it's everything. It's everything that's gonna go wrong goes wrong because you don't yeah. have enough depth of bench in the first couple of years to be able to manage the the uh, you know uh, unpredictable nature of business, right? So somebody comes up and goes, you know what? Ah, we just, we just decided we were going to change our direction or, you know, somebody pops up and says, yes, 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 we're going to do it. But then suddenly drags for six months and doesn't, or somebody doesn't believe you, or you're having to get a client that's actually below what you know you're really capable of, but you got to do it because that's the way that you're going to stair step up to the next We, You know, I kind of refer to it as the ramen noodle phase because it's like being in college in that respect, right? It's like you've got no money, you've got no time, you're trying to figure out what the hell you're doing. And you just, you feel like you're eating, you know, like peanut butter crackers every day. And that's just how it feels. And I can't tell you how many, uh, other entrepreneurs along the journey, some of whom are in the first two or three years, some of them are eight, nine years or 15 years or 16 years. All of them have days where they're like, you know, thank you for just being another entrepreneur that I can kind of vent to for five minutes. And then I can kind of recharge and get myself back into the game. But it's, it's just the way that it is. You know, the difference between owning a company and, and working at one is standing in that current and the current never really stops. You know, mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, probably Tony Robbins at his five or six billion, whatever his net worth is at this point, and however many companies he's got, I'm sure wakes up some days and is like, oh my God, what a headache. Like, come on, now I've got 500 people I've got to manage today and I don't feel like doing it. And, you know, so-and-so is doing such and such. And, you know, my rent just got raised over here and insurance payments just changed over there. And policy changed and affected the way that I have to do taxes on this thing or that thing. And all of that is a headache. But at the same time, you couldn't be more alive with what you're doing. You are 100% in touch with the pulse of everything that's happening. Every single decision that's being made, you're, you're somehow engaged in, somehow being influenced by, and it's the best thing going. And for the people that have the fortitude to do it, you know, I applaud them because it is a, uh, it's a commitment. You know, once you've stepped off the path of, you know, I'm going to do a good job and then I'm going to get rewarded and then I'm going to get promoted and then I'm going to do a good job and then I'm going to get rewarded and then I'm going to get promoted. You know, once you've stepped off that path, it's uh, it's a rare bird that goes back to it. Um, that's uh, it's it's a different way of looking at the world. Yeah. And I think even going through and we talked about perseverance and, and going through adversity, I think overcoming a lot of these um you know, trials, tribulations, obstacles, what you want to call it, uh, building a, any type of company is going to, at least for me, I, I feel it molds your brand because sometimes you get so stuck into the strategy and creative part of it. But there's a lot of, and we talked about this a few times in this ep in this uh, episode, is is your why. And, and I think your why molds your brand, right? It's the purpose behind it. What's the motive, the intent behind what you guys are doing and what you're trying to accomplish and overcoming and just persevering and not giving up just gives you, I think it shifts your mind. Uh, once you, once you, uh, you know, overcome a roadblock, uh, however you overcome it, 
it's you just get that much stronger and that's and you get that much more intelligent that's and it. that's you know exactly what I mean? right and, and with that intelligence you your your brand start you start to think you know what wait a minute actually what we the, the way i the 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 way we've been mess the our messaging our brand messaging was actually incorrect before i think this is the reason this is the reason why i'm doing this and then that's when you you have to you know make sure that you're in parallel with the rest of your team. <laughs> that's the hard part. Yeah, you know. But you're exactly right. Once you've seen that insight, it's it's like uh, you're hitting a new gear, right? And so even if you've had a lot of success with something or you've got a lot of momentum, and we talk a lot about that with clients, you might have momentum, but you haven't hit your your potential gear yet. And you know that's an exciting thing, and especially for people who have been in the company you know 20, 30 years to suddenly realize that there's a whole new place that they can go, you know, watching that light come back into their eyes is a pretty amazing and phenomenal thing, right? So they're sitting there and they're thinking, yeah, I've kind of done all that I'm going to do here and I'm kind of cranking away. And now it's just a matter of efficiency. I mean, we worked with a company one time that had been in business for 48 years, second generation. And, you know, they were looking for a new agency. I was working as a consultant at the at the agency at the time. And when they came in, they said, you're never going to beat last year's sales. You're never going to do it. We just don't want to lose what we had. When we gave them that 19.5% that next year, they were floored, floored. And they had been looking at their brand the same way. And all we did was we just turned it just a little bit you know it was like well you're looking at it this way what if we just turned it just a touch and the second that we did that they started growing again and they hadn't grown in you know five six years so i mean it's i think that's where the real juice of all of this is right is in taking a look at it and it's not just strategy like how are we going to spend your money the best way it's how are we going to connect with people the best way and how are we going to do that thing that you were talking about a little bit ago where you're sharing something through the experience that either empowers someone or makes them feel better about a situation or changes their emotional state for the better, however that is defined, whether they feel it's a competitive edge or it solves a problem or it does whatever. And the only way to get through to them on that level is to make sure that you're adhering to something that you share as a value between the brand and the people who support that brand and the consumers who, who engage with it and buy from it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's great, amazing insight, great tips. And so, Bill, so one of the final questions, what are some of the best tips for companies and businesses out there trying to solidify their brand? Any, any, any tips that you have in mind? Favorite tips? I think, yeah, the best one is uh, get away for a what if session. You know, I think, I think people wind up getting really cautious after a while in their companies, you know, especially if the company isn't an open door policy kind of an environment and they, they kind of Jerry Maguire, right? It's like, if you say something, then the risk is very, very high. And I think the notion of going off um, for a what if session is really great where you just say, okay, everybody in the room, phones off, uh, hats off, right? There's, there are no dumb ideas here. There's no, none of that. Throw something out there and let's see if we can make it work. And so the question then is not about saying, well, yeah, we tried that and it doesn't work, or that's a dumb idea, or yeah, Bob always talks about that or whatever. It's, it's about saying, hey, you know, if this is the reason that we exist and this is what we set out to do, have we done everything with that that we can? And if not, and 
I have yet to see a company that has. How, how much bigger can we make it? You know, I think Disney is such a phenomenal company, not just because of all that they've done, but because by declaring to the world we're the happiest place on earth, they have set such an insanely high bar for delivery that every single person involved with that brand, from the CEO to the kid wearing, you know, the the costume, you know, on a 95 degree day down in Florida or California is responsible, right? They're responsible. They're a part of thinking proactively, what can we do to make this happen? I wish more businesses would do this. I really do. We spend so much of our time trying to help companies see how there's value in that. And I think that they've really missed out on exploration that would keep their teams engaged and keep their teams talking with one another. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really positive experience for most of those people who aren't necessarily given that kind of creative input or that kind of responsibility to help the business grow, to be given a seat at that table is good every way that it can be. And it typically yields some amazing new ideas for the development of the company. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love it. I think this is this is awesome, Bill. I really appreciate all this insight, and um, I think it's it's great. I think a lot of people can learn from this. Um, so I always ask. So the final three questions is to call it the three hows. So how do you define failure? How do you define entrepreneurship? And how do you define success? Uh, how I define failure is learning. Um, I don't think that anybody learns without failing, and I think that there's a big misconception in our society about that. Um, you know. Many companies have kind of used this notion of fail harder or fail more often, and I fully subscribe to that. I think if you're hanging out in the safe zone, then you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're failing in a way that is bad for you. So that's that. Um, How do I define success? I define success as being content with what you do with your time. I think, uh, you know, the common denominator for all of us is the fact that we only have so much time in a day and you want to do it with something that you're proud and pleased and excited to have done. And so I would define success not in terms of money or in terms of achievement in that way, but in the sense of having brought together a team that is happy to spend time together and that you yourself are enjoying the way that you spend your time. What was your third one, though? I missed that. Entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Well, I think we kind of touched on that a little bit ago. I think entrepreneurship is willingness to say, my idea has validity no matter what it is. You know, I I think if what you really love to do is draw purple cows, that there's an audience for it. And certainly the internet has proven that to be the case. And so you should go and you should do it. And it's not for everybody. You know, I think a lot of people kind of get this romanticized idea of what entrepreneurialism is. If you're not willing to bloody your knuckles a little bit and to get calluses on your hands, then it's probably not the thing for you. Um, I'm reading a book now that talks about intrapreneurs and how they are people who know that entrepreneurs need the same kind of dedicated people behind them, but who don't necessarily want to do it themselves. They have the same kind of drive. They have the same sort of thing, but they want to be in support of it. And so I think it. You know, I think, again, our society places a lot of weight on this notion of you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. But there's this beautiful space in the middle that are these people that are intrapreneurs, that are supportive people who have just as much enthusiasm for sort of conquering, but just don't necessarily want to do it on under their own roof. And so um, I think that uh, defining entrepreneurship is really about recognizing who you are and what 
kind of makes your heart sing in terms of how you spend your time and then and then going and doing it. Fantastic. Bill, really, really appreciate it. And uh, just wanted to, um, where, where can everyone find you? Uh, website, social media? Sure. WMHarper.com is our, is our website. And then uh, anything that is social, you can just ping off of that. But most of them are, uh, are WM Harper. Okay. Great, great. Michael, Bill, thank you thank so much. No, this so was a, much, this was a really pleasure. Yeah, and thank you for uh, taking the time again. I know it's we've been trying to trying to make this thing happen we've, during our crazy uh, crazy schedule. So thank no you. No worries. Again. I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. This is Michael Giorgio, your host on Tales from the Pros. And until next time, thanks, guys.